Welcome to Host Radio Podcast with Hannah and Olivia, a podcast for the professional community. It's Women's History Month, and within this past week, it was International Women's Day. We've been dedicating our Host Radio Podcasts and our Host Magazine to the women in tech and more generally topics surrounding gender equality. For this episode, we're chatting about the state of modern feminism in the workplace and the purpose of International Women's Day. Hi, Olivia. Hiya. How was your International Women's Day? Yeah, it was good. In fact, recently, over the last few weeks, I've seen so much good stuff go online. Um, Events are starting to warm up again, and there's been some fantastic female panels. I know at Host, we've been busy recording a couple of these podcasts, published the magazine with exclusive interviews. We've got some great social media material. And I guess as a media team, we're chucking ourselves into content creation, which is what we do best. (laughs) Um, And then I guess as a wider business, we're reviewing our training and workshops um, just to ensure that our team is supported and educated. And I mean, we're always actively equalizing our gender divide in the team and improving the difference. So we really want to encourage inclusive working practices. So beyond what what we're up to and, and what we've been doing. What original initiatives have you seen for International Women's Day? So I did a bit of a dive into this actually to look at some examples that I thought um, made a really actionable difference. And some of the ones that I found included DoorDash, you know, the delivery company, they um, actually did a really cool thing where they introduced a new feature to their app that allowed users to filter by all female owned businesses. And I thought that is so cool because it creates a direct revenue boost, obviously, for those businesses and for female business owners in turn. So that's just so important because we can often forget that um, just simply shining a light on something doesn't actively make it better. There's a lot more work to be done behind the scenes to get results. So that was a good example. Another one is by Spotify, because um, within their app as well, they highlighted women artists. And often I think it seems like an easy thing to do, but that kind of free promotion and exposure can make a massive difference financially and for the growth of an artist and their platform. So another great example. One that I really like and a brand that I think is super cool and I always like their marketing is Lego, right? And um, they've always done some really good gender-oriented marketing and pitch their toys as being for everyone. Because the beauty of, of the thing itself is that you're never kind of giving a child either a doll or a fire engine, like blue and pink toys. You're just giving them the tools to build whatever it is their imagination creates. So for a recent IWD campaign, Lego actually recreated an ad from 1981 that they ran Um, And they made the new piece interactive to just encourage and kind of champion today's young women in whatever they want to be. The final example I found that I've listed is by IKEA. And they focused again on a real statistic that women globally do three times more work in the home than men. And they launched a digital game called 5050 around this to kind of highlight it and foster conversations between couples and households about that because when you think about it obviously housework just equals time and equals energy and these are all resources that could be better spent on women's careers and goals so I thought that was a very interesting and impactful thing they did and so those are my my examples but I think just to add to it a couple of angles that 
I feel are explored less often and are really valuable would be focusing on the role of male allies and supporting them and then also being intersectional about it by discussing other factors such as race, religion, ability, sexuality, which for many people obviously come hand in hand with the challenges of womanhood. So those are mine, which have you seen recently? I saw this great campaign by a marketing agency called, I think they're called CPB London, and they produced different posters highlighting unconscious bias. So I've seen this done before in the past in various different unconscious bias training courses and things. So the headline is a figure and in smaller writing below, they make an assumption about your, what your bias is. So for example, imagine a CEO, is it a man? Imagine someone crying in the office, is it a woman? Imagine someone leaving early to pick up their kids, is it a woman? Imagine a nurse, again, is it a woman? Interestingly, I do fall into some of these biases, aside from imagine someone leaving early to pick up their kids. And I'll tell you what, it's because one of our CEOs, who is a man, for as long as I've worked at the business, on certain days of the week, he's left much earlier than the rest of us to collect his daughter from school. And I know that, Olivia, we both discussed this yesterday and you pointed out your opposing bias as well. Yeah, so there were some unexpected biases I actually picked up on that I wouldn't have thought I had. Um, so, for instance, when I read Imagine a CEO, when I thought of one, I did actually see a woman, but it's a very particular kind of woman I pictured, someone sharply dressed and she was white. So there are other factors there to consider. And I certainly hope that I don't have a racial bias behind that. Um, but I think it just comes down to visibility and the associations that you have. So if the media and your surroundings only expose you to one kind of example, that's what you're likely to think of. But it's good to try and open our minds a little bit more. Yeah, that is so interesting. So aside from the innovative campaigns and content that we've seen, what is totally cliche and what do you think is worth ditching now that we're in 2022, do you think? Big one for me is inauthenticity, because I think people pick up on it massively these days. Of course, brands will always want to keep their campaigns relevant to their product, their service and the space that they operate in. But they just need to ask themselves, how is this actually helping women? Are we doing the work behind the scenes to uplift this community? Could we be doing something else um, that would help more? Is this actually self-serving? Are we selling our brand? Are we just playing lip service to a downtrodden group when we could actually be giving them jobs or grants or some kind of active support in their businesses? Or even just putting our necks on the line to advocate for them in a real way um, and for causes that benefit them. Because when a campaign doesn't reflect real work or values happening behind the brand or the business, I think it can be very transparent. Do you have an example of that? Um, yeah, so well, there was a piece of content that I saw recently. Um, it was it was from previous years, but it's a LinkedIn um, IWD piece. Uh, it's tearing down the big dogs <laughs> here talking about LinkedIn. Um, and I, I joke, obviously, we really like LinkedIn as a company, but I just think this is an interesting example of a campaign that it went like very much went in the right direction, but then it could have done a lot more. So this was a video focusing on the statistic that more women than men had been put out of a job since the start of the pandemic, essentially, and showcase some examples of getting through that experience. So for the first third of this video, I was thinking, this is great, this is interesting, it's highlighting a real issue and tackling it. I wonder what it is that they're 
doing as a company or what they will recommend to support women in this position. But then the narrative of the piece, of the video, went down another path I wasn't expecting that was essentially the support of others has helped me through this. And that's why LinkedIn is like so amazing. It was really selling this theme of connections in order to come off as like human and warm as a brand. Um, and what I would have loved to hear instead is, and that's why we're extending free LinkedIn premium accounts to women affected by the pandemic or a promotion um, of a new community or feature or even grants that are made available for female businesses, which, you know, all these things would actually help in some solid way. Um, and I just think it's, it's important to remember that you don't have to be a charity or a social welfare organisation to make social good and social change a priority for your business because you do have the power to do good. Um, and from a marketing perspective as well, it also earns trust and it will build your reputation in an authentic way. Yeah, totally. Another campaign I saw was the gender pay gap bot on Twitter, calling out companies who were posting about International Women's Day, but still had an apparent gender pay gap within their business. And I think that's another brilliant example of anti-authenticity. With issues such as gender pay gaps, I'm sure we all share an urge to promote these issues all year round. And as with most of these things, it should be International Women's Day every day. And although it's great for us to review, reflect and raise awareness at a significant point of the year and revisit it on an annual basis, it is evident that issues such as gender disparity in the workplace should be tackled all the time. So do you think International Women's Day still has a purpose? So completely agree with everything you just said. And the thing is about that question, like the word still, still has purpose, kind of suggests that it either used to have a purpose and now we live in a completely different world or that its original aims have been 100% achieved. And I think most would agree that neither of those are completely true. Um, International Women's Day has its roots in the suffrage movement. And though many women across the globe are now able to vote, there's still a fight for female rights, both in politics and in the workplace. So when we get quite complacent about the progress that we have made, and we think, you know, we're very enlightened now, we're doing really well, um, it's important to look at the big picture outside of our immediate context. So in Britain and other wealthy countries, we can vote, we can work, we, for the most part, can speak out against gender discrimination. But this is very much not the case for other places in the world. There are women everywhere who still can't work or who don't have agency over their own finances, can't vote or are otherwise subjected to a patriarchal control through anything from slave labour to child marriage or oppressive rulership. Even in our privileged circumstances, let's not forget there's a wage gap. There's huge underrepresentation for women, especially in leadership roles. And as we've seen in the media prominently over the past year or so, violence and discrimination against women is rife, which is something I think that's been on a lot of our minds recently due to the, the anniversary of Sarah Everard's murder. So you know, for all, all those reasons, it, it still very much has a purpose because there's just a long way still to go to what I would consider proper equality. Yeah, you can say that again louder <laughs> for the people at the back. <laughs> we were having a team meeting about our upcoming special edition of The Host magazine as March is focused on women in tech. 
And at one point of our planning process, you pointed out that, and I hope I'm quoting this close enough, mm -hmm. we naturally feel the need to educate the world, but we don't need to do that. And I found this super interesting. Can you tell us more about those thoughts? Yeah, so that's actually something that only recently occurred to me that this applies to women in the workplace and to people like you and me. Um, because from the perspective of ethnic minorities, for instance, in the workplace, we know that we shouldn't be putting the responsibility and the pressure and the work on the shoulders of, for example, black colleagues to educate us, their white colleagues, about racial issues. But that's not their job. It's up to us to educate ourselves. So when we invite a representative of any minority or disadvantaged group to share their story or to share their knowledge with us, especially when we fail to properly pay that person for services of education, this is essentially taking advantage of their free labour. I think the same kind of goes for women because the task of educating others in the workplace and then beyond on issues of gender equality can't sit wholly on women's shoulders because like we've got our own jobs to be doing. We're too busy. If So if I stopped doing my job every time I heard like the topic come up in the office and walked away to start explaining what I know to other people and take part in the conversation, I would have to go part time as a marketing executive because I'd be spending so much time not doing it. So and that's no reflection on our colleagues or the culture where we work specifically. It's just a reality that educating on social issues is a full-time job. That's why there are people who do it as a career. So I just find it helpful to remember that it's everybody's shared job. So that means that us and the male allies in the room equally because they have a valuable insight and a role to play. So I guess going back to your original question in terms of our content, I basically was saying that we don't have to focus an IWD issue of a magazine on all female voices, because although it is so, so important to give them a platform and to help make them heard, we don't want to lean on them exclusively. So what I would really love our content to do is just support that culture of sharing out the burden of enlightening other people. Absolutely. And as you said before, I guess we need to remain aware that some cultures and industries are still incredibly old school. And although we're taking leaps as a business, there's still some major apparent issues where our company or a listener's business might be taking some great strides for a perfect, inclusive culture. Our clients, our customers, our partners, neighbouring competitors might still be sat extremely stagnant in an ivory tower. I can guarantee as a community, we all still, <laughs> I can guarantee as a community, we're all still aside businesses in the same industries who are actively avoiding these discussions. They're not taking part in campaigns such as International Women's Day. And, you know, it just feels extremely unprogressive. So I'm just going to jump in with our armchair expert segment here. Um, as I have some stats to support that. So women now hold 38% of FTSE 100 board director positions, but the percentage of women in executive roles is only 13.7%. According to PwC's Women in Tech campaign, only 5% of leadership positions in the technology sector are held by women. Looking back down the scale at the people entering the industry from education, just 3% of females say a career in technology is their first choice. So in terms of business performance, teams with lower percentages of women have lower sales and lower profits than teams with a balanced gender mix. Profits increase 
as the share of women increases up to 50%. And for higher shares of women, the relation between profits and the share of women is flat. So a study that Harvard Kennedy School did as part of their gender action platform, which is really great, by the way, suggests that teams with an equal gender mix perform the same as teams with a majority of females. So, Olivia, I'm going to ask you a punchy question here off the back of that. Do you think men are the enemy? No, like men are victims too of the same system, I guess. Because if we're talking about the patriarchy on like a big scale here, which we are really, even though it is like a big scary word for some people to use, it's like it's just a system of inequality and that is exactly what we're talking about. And that does a huge disservice to men as well. Um, so as you said, gender balance within organisations drives the success of those organisations. So their male leaders and colleagues benefit from that as well. Like, So we have two male leader CEOs of our business and I'm sure if someone told them, Craig and Wayne, that suddenly, for whatever reason, women aren't allowed to work in the industry anymore, so we'll all be removed from the business overnight, they'd be acutely aware of the threat that that poses to the business that they've worked hard to build and the team they've brought together because we've been losing people that they've chosen because they knew they were the best person for the role and have become integral to the team. We all benefit from diversity and equality and also from the freedom to make our own choices because imbalances like this just put both men and women into certain boxes. The vast majority of men are not villains by any means. Um, but that doesn't mean they haven't still been the beneficiaries, I guess, of this system for a long time. So if you think about misogyny in its literal meaning, being hatred of women, I believe that it's a small, tiny minority of men that genuinely hate all women. But the vast majority who are not misogynist at all still have historically had that luxury of a clearer path to seniority or success as a result of gender biases and male privilege. On the flip side of that, the same gender bias is saying to men, well, hey, if you want to be a stay-at-home dad, not an option, sorry. If you want to work part-time, you'll be judged more harshly for that than a woman might. And if you're not, say, aggressive enough in your business style, then that isn't how men are supposed to be. So it's still just taking away their choices as an individual. Ultimately, there's no enemy <laughs> except this historic precedent that's been set, which we're working hard to undo, and it does take time. But as we unpack gender equality further and further, I think both sides see huge advantages. And obviously using that term sides is very binary. And I'm not even touching on the difference that all of this progress makes for gender non-conforming people as well. Um, so when we talk about these issues, it can be very easy to use that binary rhetoric, but it's about everyone in the whole community. Yeah, absolutely. One of the unconscious bias questions was, imagine a feminist is it a woman? So men can be feminists too, right? Absolutely. And male feminists are so important because, so feminism is literally, I think, defined as the advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of equality of the sexes. So if you support that, then like, a feminist is what you are, regardless of your gender. Welcome to the club. It's great to have you all. Um, and that, that is actually why there's been debate politically and academically about that actual word feminist because it doesn't have to do exclusively with femaleness and much less femininity which is more a set of socially constructed expectations that are put on women um it has to do with equality in a more general sense so 
that's also for me why intersectional feminism is important because gender issues cross over with things like racial issues religious ability and other biases which I think should be viewed cohesively so what I'd say for um anyone who's ever been confused or put off by that term feminism is like yeah we get it that's something that feminists have been aware of but it's still a very important word historically and a powerful one in society so I really hope that everyone continues to embrace the concept of it because the concept is important not the word and to men specifically out there who look at the world and you think yeah a lot of this is unfair to women and they deserve better but I may be afraid to openly call yourself a feminist or label yourself that way because you think you don't belong there. Please forget about that mindset because you've been missold that information at some point. You are a feminist, you're a male ally, and we need you and we're grateful for you. There's been some conversation circulating the meaning of feminism. I think the reputation has been swayed due to heavy-handed protests. Yeah, definitely. Everyone's got their own take on these type of things. I guess two two things to say would be firstly there are many different kinds of feminists with different views on different issues so you cannot agree with one protest or the way that it's been done and still be a feminist and the second thing would be that it's, it's good to investigate like there are often deeper reasons behind again the way a protest is done um and remember like protests are supposed to be disruptive in order to to get attention but they're focused on serious issues one historic example that might be useful here is we will sometimes nowadays refer to like a bra burner in a derogatory way to describe a radical feminist and this actually refers to a miss america protest from 1968 that was organized by a group called new york radical women and one of the things they did was just put a lot of symbolic feminine products into what they called a freedom trash can on the atlantic city boardwalk including bras hairspray makeup things like girdles and corsets, false eyelashes, but also mops and other domestic items, which are all symbols of just different ways in which women have been oppressed. So it's all about just bringing attention to that. So we've made it apparent that we want to avoid bashing males. There are some incredible, empowering, humble and supportive men in my career and my personal life, thankfully. How do you feel about male allies and incorporating them into campaigns like International Women's Day? How can we do it within a healthy spotlight without feeling like we're just succumbing to more male dominance? How do we ensure women are still empowered? And how do we ensure International Women's Day isn't in fact a campaign for genders to just go to war? Such good points both because it is really counterproductive when we pit the genders against each other it's not men versus women it should be everybody versus the oppression you know like they say in relationships that if you have a fight you've got to remember that it's not the two of you against each other it's both of you against the problem it's like we've got to be a team um, and again for that reason allies are really important and I do, I do recognize fully that it's a hard position for men to be in there's vulnerability in standing up and saying, yeah, I have benefited from gender privilege in my life or in my career. And I guess it has because it feels like admitting you're part of the problem. But if you're willing to speak out about it and shed light on that, then that you start to counteract that problem. But in terms of um, making sure that we're not allowing IWD campaigns to be dominated by male voices, that's another good point to hone in on. And the reason not to allow that basically is because the women's voices have been 
too often stifled and unheard amidst a noise of, of male voices because there are simply more of them and they're louder in terms of having more status or more respect afforded to them. Unfortunately, we have often been trained as a society not to hear women when they speak. Um, and it's not just men who are guilty of that deafness. 100% it can be everyone. So it, I just think that International Women's Day and Days Like It and Women's History Month are an appropriate time to make space where we prioritise female voices. Like That's one of the big reasons it exists for me. So to finish off this week's episode, we're going to introduce a new segment to the show where we tackle a randomised pop question. So this week, we're going to talk about what is the difference between right and wrong, nature or nurture. Given this week's topic, focusing in on Women's History Month and International Women's Day, this question is is fairly relevant to that, I guess. So what is the difference between right and wrong, nature or nurture? I think the difference between right and wrong to me is whether it hurts somebody else. Um, and the nature or nurture side of it, I think I always kind of lean towards nurture because um, we're so, as people, we're so shaped by our experiences. Um, though it's important to be true to yourself while you take all of those things on board. I don't think that people are born in a certain fixed way. We definitely evolve and change. Yeah, when it comes to my position of work, working in a creative role in marketing, I often say there is no right and wrong, especially with design. And I really think there are no boundaries. However, from a personal perspective, and when we're talking about people here, um, you know, there, there are moral high grounds and, and there's education and most of all instincts. You know, there's unconscious bias and trauma which can impact people. And nature comes first, but that doesn't mean you can't nurture something into a new being or adapt and change who you are and what your thoughts are. And I mean that in a positive or negative way. It is really important to identify what is right and wrong in order to achieve equality. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that it's very important to meet people where they are, because I agree there's no right or wrong in the sense that it isn't wrong to not be aware of something simply because you've never been exposed to it or you've never been taught that lesson. Um, but then that also can only go up to a certain point because surely it is wrong to be stubbornly intolerant of others or to be unwilling to learn I guess the thing is it's easy for someone like me who considers myself a feminist as 24 years old barely know I'm born to sit here and like patronize others by saying well you should really understand these modern concepts of inclusivity but like people only know what they've seen and been raised around I'm ignorant to many many things that those older than me have experienced and the context that they've seen and been in. And when I'm 80, my grandkids or whatever will accuse me of being really old fashioned and clueless about stuff because everything is always changing. And it's just good to be willing to learn, to keep up and to respect people, even if you're not familiar, I guess, with what they feel or how they identify. Actually, I have a really good example of, of not doing that or failing in that from a book that I'm reading, which is called Burn It Down, Women Writing About Anger, a collection of essays. It's edited by Lily Danziger. I really, really recommend it. So see if you can find a copy. Um, one of the essays I want to talk about is by a trans woman and a lawyer. 
who tells this story of a male counterpart who consistently misgendered her in court and even said basically you should just let you should allow me to misgender you because it's easier for you to just get over it than it is for me to unlearn 60 years of morals and firstly the idea that intolerance and misgendering and invalidating someone's right to exist can be described as morals is erroneous to say the least but this is the flip side isn't it where you can have your unique perspective but you have to respect others yeah i'm not digging out all the racist sexists and homophobes among us i'm not bringing their views to the surface or justifying the stability of that ground they stand on but what i do want to say is that in order to make any improvements for the disparity that we experience today i feel that we need to identify embrace and adapt these problems and these differing opinions so just like the law in that book, admitting to 60 years of sexism is not right, but he stopped internalising his sexist behaviour. And at that point, there is an opportunity to influence and persuade him to perhaps change his opinion. Um, I really think it comes down to mindset. Unconscious bias is a thing. We all know that. And past experiences where we've been nurtured to feel and believe certain things in certain ways such as you know like religion is a huge factor as well these things become ingrained in people but I'm a huge believer in that we can adapt these concepts and we can develop and progress our mindset in a better direction towards equality the huge worldwide brands running campaigns to sway these mindsets and biases are good progress. Baby clothes and toys, as you were saying before, Olivia, becoming more neutral and advertised to both genders. Like, my son has pink and purple clothes. They're super cool, can I just say. He even has rainbow glittery light-up trainers, which he is very proud of. And he is the most typical stereotype version of a boy's boy. And I always try and encourage him to be affectionate, soft. And, you know, I just don't allow play fighting. You know, why would I? You know, listener, I bet in your head it wouldn't be acceptable for two girls to wrestle and kick each other to the floor. So why should I tell my son that it's okay for him to do that? We're changing the narrative, one person, one parent, teacher, brand, and leader at a time. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I do think that the earlier we bring in those lessons that it's okay to be who you are and you don't have to subscribe to these like gender stereotypes, the better. And it's so powerful to do that. Um, but a great point as well about parents, teachers, and leaders, because I think this is a reason that inclusive mindsets and that sense of acceptance has to go all the way to the top. Because for instance, in the courtroom story that I just told, there is a judge in that context who didn't call out this intolerant behavior as being unacceptable. They actually validated it like from their position of authority. And the same exact thing goes in the workplace. If principles are truly embraced by leaders at the top, then it filters down because someone is there to actually hold people accountable for any offensive behavior such as that. So it's then not all on the victim to have to fight that fight and that, that uphill battle because they're not going to be able to win it alone without that support. 
I 100% agree with this. Leaders need to take responsibility to drive change, male, female, non-binary. Their decisions, their influence and direction is absolutely essential. Otherwise, we'll never witness any impact. Such a good point and a perfect one to close on, I think. joining our discussion if you want to contribute your thoughts or get in touch with us you can reach out through our website or you can find us on linkedin we'll add our details to the show notes check out the latest host magazine and the rest of our content on wearehostcommunity.com if you enjoyed this discussion and you haven't already listened to our last episode called when finance meets feminism check it out because i'm sure you'll love it and make sure you're subscribed to our next episode We'll see you next time. Hooray! <laughs> we did it. Whoop, whoop. Oh I my gosh.